Success looks so easy from the outside, but all successful people have had to overcome enormous obstacles along the way. And in many cases, look failure right in the eye. Most successful people don't focus on the struggle and rarely do they talk about it because quite frankly, that's not what creates success. Join us here where we will chat with fierce female entrepreneurs and share the good, the bad, and the ugly of entrepreneurship and talk about the obstacles we have faced and how you can overcome them to reach the success that you desire. I am your host, Cami Lehman, and this is the She's Invincible Podcast. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today on the She's Invincible podcast. But guess what? Today we have He's Invincible, and I'm so excited to introduce you to him. Self-proclaimed world's number one failure, Ben Courier, is the host of Successful Failure Guy podcast. His podcast currently has a global reach that Spotify-owned Chartable ranks higher than 99.8% of all podcasts. Ben discusses the most challenging moments his guests have endured and the failures they encountered on their journey towards achieving success. Ben spent the last 15 years in corporate America financially forecasting billions of dollars across multiple industries. He is an extremely talented Excel guru, four-time Microsoft MVP award winner, and creator of one of the best, the six best online Excel classes per Investopedia. His Excel training has over 25 million minutes of listening time, and he has helped millions with his online Excel training. Despite these successes, Ben has been fired from every job he's had after graduating college. This has inspired him to investigate how to get better at dealing with failure rather than avoiding facing the reality of his problems. He has worked hard to turn his setback into success and inspires others across the country through his hit podcast and public speaking engagements. Oh my gosh, Ben Carrier, my favorite failure guy. Welcome to the She's Invincible podcast. I am so excited to have you with us today. Well, I am equally excited. And also, I love that it's a She's Invincible and I get a He's Invincible, but I have a lot of women's clothing, so I'm kind of in the middle. I mean, sometimes I'm wearing like a Victoria's Secret pink on the butt, uh, yellow pants or pink pants, whatever they are. Um, So, you know, I'm kind of in the middle, I will say. Women need pockets. I can't keep buying your stuff if it has no pockets. I don't get why you guys don't. Your pockets are so tiny or they're fake. They just, they really piss me off. So if you're all invincible, figure out how to get together and and take down a big, you know, clothing industry and tell them to give you pockets because... Do you not suffer with the same issue? Do you not all suffer in silence? No. Yeah. So here's the thing, Ben. We're not suffering. You see, every time we put something (laughs) in our pockets, it makes our butt look bigger. So therefore, we don't have pockets. Guys don't really worry about that. So like they pad their pockets with wallets. and Even front pockets, though. Yeah, no. Even no. anything. You have fake no pockets. Any, okay, yep. fine. If you're gonna I can't believe I can't sell you on this, but fine. I'll just keep I'll just keep struggling if I get a 
Oh you know, my gosh. A, a piece of velour pants or something that a woman wore. I'm like, oh, nothing fits into any of these pockets. Like, what is the point? <laughs> There's no point. None. I'm Fashion, sorry. I'm sorry. But I, I have to tell you, I love your pink pants and your orange Thank pants you. and your sequins and your velour. And I just love that about you. And it is amazing. And I'm excited to just jump right in today. And I would love for you to tell our listeners how in the world did you get where you are today? And what makes you invincible? Um, so I think, uh, I think a lot of things, um, I think failure, which in my case was a lot of it was related to getting fired from all those jobs. It breeds a certain resilience in you. Uh, once you realize you can hit rock bottom and you think it's rock bottom and then you keep hitting bottom or rocky bottoms <laughs> over and over. And then you start a podcast called the world's number one failure, failure guy podcast. And then you think all your failures are behind you. But like even more waiting just around the corner, it's uh, it builds up a bit of resilience, which I found is my is the thread between mostly all of my guests is that they keep going, you know, in the face of adversity. And so for the longest time I mean, growing up, I was a nerdy kid who went to an all guys Catholic high school and uh, you were either there for sports or for smarts. And I was obviously there for sports i know of course it was smarts i was like a little i was like they they called me fetus in freshman year because i hadn't yet blossomed into my current height and and uh and whatnot so um i did not uh fit the mold of a sports guy but also everybody there was rich because um it was like even in the late 90s it was like eight thousand dollars a year to go to this high school and by the time I graduated, it was like $11,000 a year. So who the hell knows what it is now? It's probably like college level. But my Nana paid for it because she knew she didn't want me to go to Salem High School. So um, I was A, out of place because all the kids who were sports or smarts, they were all rich. And I was the one who was taking the public bus from Salem over two cities over to go to school. And so I felt very out of place. I couldn't wear what I wanted. Um, because they had a dress code, you couldn't even wear, it didn't have button down collars. If it didn't have a button down collar, they'd send you home or detention or whatever. So, and uh, the valedictorian couldn't go to prom with his boyfriend because that back then, not only was it a Catholic high school, but they were not cool with that, with that at all, even though he was the valedictorian, which is pretty, pretty weak on their part in general. But I mean, this, you know, if it was just a random person, I don't know why it matters to me that he was, Valedictorian, but it's like he tried so hard, he did so good, and you're gonna say he can't take who he wants to prom. I mean, come on. I didn't even go to prom. I went to the prom after party, but I didn't. Uh, I wasn't comfortable with myself yet, even enough to go to prom. So I'm saying like this confidence and ability to be the only one dancing on the dance floor at Podfest for a while, or, or at least the only guy. Um, you know, not not a lot of this came easy. It came through a lot of self work into what makes me either able to show up as my full self or not. And I think, I just think um, part of it was realizing I was fired from all these jobs. And then I had decided, okay, I, I gotta, I, I can't figure out how to improve myself. I read Atomic Habits. I'll read, you know, a Tony Robbins book. I'll read a bunch of Seth Godin books. I'll read all sorts of things. I can't figure out how to implement the parts that are good practices but I do know that I fail a lot and a lot of them talk about embracing failure. And I'm like, I got that. I can do that. 
you know, I already, <laughs> I already think of myself that way a little bit. So, um, I put the failure, failure license plate on my car. I was surprised that it was available, which is probably moronic, but now it is available. So if anyone wants it and in any, any state, I would just suggest someone get a failure plate and tell me you can be part of the friends of failure, special license plate crew. Cause I no longer have one. Um, and that's another story we'll tell in a little bit, but, um, also, it's not always the best to be able to be identified by your license plate wherever you go, especially if you piss people off or whatever. They can uh, they can track you down pretty easily, especially if you have a bumper sticker that says what your podcast is and says your real name on the podcast site. You know, there's a lot yeah. of things I learned through just that process. But I'd been fired from five jobs at that point. And then uh, during my podcast where they knew what my podcast was about, I also was fired from that job eventually. So... Um, no, it's it's weird because I'm I've got my master's in business. I'm incredibly talented with Excel. I really hate corporate politics, so I just never would play that game. I'd get better at the software. They'd be like, "Here's a full folder of all the things you did wrong." I'm like, "I could have had a giant folder of all the things you did wrong, but I'm not keeping folders." So, you know, you got me beat just on the fact that you were tracking stuff that I I was just getting annoyed and and not putting it away in a folder. So, you know. Um, and certainly some of the times were my fault getting fired. I would certainly say some of the times were someone else's, but there was two cases where I interviewed and hired the person who fired me. I mean, <laughs> I chose someone who like had complimentary or whatever, supplemented the things that I was bad at. And then they didn't like me because I didn't do the things that they did. They were more type A personality than me, but I'm like, I need you to fill in the gaps. I'm not hiring you for my own benefit and it ended up being for my own demise. Oh my gosh. So what makes you invincible? Would you say if you had to put it in a sentence or two? Uh, just being able to get back and get back up. You know, there's that Chinese proverb, fall down seven times, get up eight yeah. where it's like, you just got to keep going. There's nothing you can do besides um, building your resilience, uh, having confidence in whatever it is you're doing. I don't, have confidence in being in corporate America because they've told me without question, we do not want you here. So um, I'm more confident in the fact that I should be doing something else in the entrepreneurial realm. I probably have due to my upbringing, some oppositional defiance disorder. So I don't like being micromanaged. I don't like being told what to do. And obviously the more um, that they're worried about your performance or whatever, the more they, micromanage, have you do to-do lists and stuff. And I just like physically retract from the work. So, um, I think just being confident in myself and not, not caring what other people think, not looking for external validation as much. Um, and having that resilience, you know, being like, well, this isn't going to be the end of the world. I've been fired plenty of times. I know what this is like, I'll figure something out. But I, every time I go back to the same thing, I realize I really hate this. So, you know, just, Sometimes it's hard when you get that sunk cost of, I went to undergrad for accounting. I got a master's. I'm still paying it. And why everyone in my life who doesn't know anything about being anything other than just a blueprint, follow the blueprint of life. They're like, why don't you just get another job? I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? They don't <laughs> let me keep them. Like I can't, I can't keep doing that. I got to figure out what's wrong with me and or um, figure out a new path. Oh my gosh, that's so good. Well, today our topic is 
failure, confidence, and weirdness. And I feel like we just did all of that. So I can't wait to dive in and do some more and go deeper. But one of the things I want to say to you is, you know, now you work for yourself, right? And hopefully you're never going to fire yourself. Uh, And so I think the last time was the last time. And so congratulations on that, that last sixth time of the failure. Yeah, Mm. you're six for six. And I think that's amazing. And I know that, you know, as you say, like they're saying, like embrace failure. You're like, I got that. So I would love to just talk about that, about how, you know, for the average person who hasn't gotten fired six times, but maybe Mm -hmm. they got one really big blow or they're, you know, the thing I find about corporate America is we go to work every day fearful that we're going to lose our job because that's, they're looking for us doing something wrong, right? Where they should be looking for us to do things that are right and, and appreciate those and celebrate those. And so we feel that pressure. So let's talk a little bit about that. Like, how can you, you know, maintain a position in corporate America and still have some independence, which is what you really wanted and were mm-hmm. able to to have in that setting? Have you figured well, that out yet? The, yeah. Well, one of the problems with corporate America is despite them saying, hey, we're all a family and, you know, we all should love each other just as much as our regular family and all this other stuff. A, I'll tell you from experience, you think you're irreplaceable, you're definitely replaceable. No matter when, how confident I was that I was doing the right thing and doing the right work, um, you know, people will go out of their way sometimes to replace you. So, like, make make it harder for themselves. So, if you're in a rough spot and you can't, um, I mean, the failure thing happened after the fifth one. I didn't even realize I was fired from all those jobs because in for future interviews, I'd be making up stories to tell them and tell myself about why I was or wasn't doing it. I can't say I'm fired from every job. They're going to not hire me. So I got to be like, oh, I was pursuing my personal business and it didn't work out or I was moving from Boston to Denver or moving from Denver to where I'm at now. Um, there's all sorts of ways you can kind of go over it and not tell because they'll call your former employer. They'll say you were from this state to this state and you got paid this much or they won't say they fired him probably because they don't want you to come back or them to keep talking about you to future people. <laughs> They're like... Please just take this guy. He this is this is what we can give you for info, and whatever else he said, just drive with it. And so it took me till five times to even realize that I'd been fired. And I'm like, I got to start doing some internal investigation as to what's going on here. Figure out what is not fitting with me and the corporate culture. And it really was the politics. But I think the the main problem with corporate America, which was your original question, is that they don't encourage failure or honesty about failure. So if you make a big mistake, you're more likely to want to hide it than you are to want to tell your boss about it. And really what they should be encouraging is to make mistakes, not on purpose, but do good work that sometimes involves making mistakes. And if you make a mistake, go tell your boss. I remember having to go into my boss's office like the day after a presentation and say, hey, remember that, you know, $15 million I said we're going to make next year? Well, it's actually going to be $13 million. Now realize this is all fictional. I'm not a psychic, so I can't tell you for sure what it's going to be. But a mathematical issue in my Excel thing meant I didn't factor in depreciation of $2 million. So I'm telling you that now before you get your hopes up. And I'm telling you immediately. So hopefully that you understand that I'm going to be honest when I have a mistake in my model. Now I'm going to make it bulletproof so that that can't happen again. But... They don't encourage that type of behavior. And if anything, they're more likely to punish you for 
for getting something wrong or just fear you into not telling them. And so a lot of times, like you're saying, people are just trying to keep their job. I'm the, the dumb one who's like just letting it all out on the table. And I'm from Boston. So we have sometimes a tone that's not always the best or we're a little bit too brutally honest, you know? And so if they're doing something that I can't get behind, like we're, this new implementation of this thing that I know is going to be terrible, or we're going to keep this manual process forever that I'm going to hate. I'm like, you are all smart, but this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. So like, I can't say these things in corporate America without them going, what's wrong with Ben? Why is he so negative or whatever? It's like, cause you're not listening to me. I'm the expert on this subject of Excel in this. I know you're all have no idea what's going on. So then I got to the point where it's like, okay, if, if it takes my boss who's paid more than me seven hours to do a task, they offload it to me. I'm going to say it takes seven hours, no matter if I can get it down to 20 minutes or what. And then I'll spend six hours and 40 minutes on Reddit or whatever, just goofing around on the internet, because what's the point? You're paying someone more money to do the exact same amount of hours of work. I earned the right by getting better at this software. If you may, if you get more efficient, they still keep giving you 40 hours worth of work, no matter what. They don't ever say, Hey, Ben, you are like four times as productive as the next guy. You can work 20 hours a week. They don't do that. So what's the point? I say, keep the time you save and tell them it takes however long they think, especially if they don't know, you know, especially if you're doing amazing work and no one knows even how to judge it. Right. I, I see that. And I love what you said about how they don't make it okay for you to fail while you're figuring things out. And I really think that's one of the biggest things that I think even as entrepreneurs, as we expand and we build teams, we need to create a safe place to fail. We need it to be safe because, you know, when everything is going great, we're the teacher, but when we fail, we're the student, right? That's where we mm -hmm. learn the most. That's where we, we are refined and we are better because of it. And that's where the lessons come in. So I feel like that, that is such a big, big um, topic of just culture of making that safe place to fail. I love that. And I, you know, I love your authenticity. Uh, I love that you own it, right? Like you're okay with it. This is who you are and this, you know, it doesn't really define you, but it's fun yeah. to talk about. And it's definitely uh, a great lesson for other people to hear how you are so resilient around this topic. And I think you're about to say something. So what, what were you going to add to that? Um, well, I liked what you said about the failures, the learning part, you know, when everything's going yeah. well, it's good. But I think the ultimate failure is to experience failure and then not learn from it because you already paid that cost. You paid the cost, which is the, the pain and the suffering and the failure itself. And sure, it might take you a bit to mourn that loss and to like, but don't purge it. Don't men and black yourself with the flash. You know, yeah. you really want to make sure that you learn from it because if you don't learn from it, I think that's the real failure. You're not failing unless you're learning. You know, I'm for my thing, like either failure is when you're not learning from your mistakes or when you're not doing something out of the fear of failure. Mm, oh, we have to talk about that. Let's talk about that. What, how does the fear of failure affect us? Well, the podcast or podcast speech that we're going to talk about in a minute, uh, I applied for it. I got approved for it. I didn't say anything about maybe accepting it or not. I waited till after the deadline because I was also moving from Kansas City, Kansas to Kansas City, Missouri. The last date of overlap between the two apartment or like the apartment and the new house rental 
was the 26th. And that's when PodFest started. So I'm like, I'm signing up for this thing that's going to be uber stressful right on top of a move, which are always stressful. So it's like, I'm going to have to immediately shift gears from that to that. And I don't even know if I can afford to go to the event. I don't even know if I can do any of this. I don't know if it'll result in anything because, you know, I was on the Pikachu stage or the Pichacucha stage. And despite William Hung being a surprise guest on it, I thought basically this was where they put all the people who they didn't know what to do with. And it was like the first day at 9 a.m. is when we had our talk. So it's funny that you got to see how prepared I was at like 8.30 a.m. showing up to breakfast with you and you helped me look, just look through my slides and I was just writing down what I was going to do. And then even throughout some of the other speaker's speeches, I was just trying to figure out, okay, what am I, what's the general vibe of what I'm saying? Because I don't like to script things, but I had barely even outlined it as you saw uh, that morning. So yeah. it's funny that it went so well considering it, it's just more that I'm comfortable with the topic and the things that I put into it. But I just wanted to make sure that I didn't uh, mess it up because the format for anyone who doesn't know what a Picha Kucha speech is, is this one was 15 seconds per slide, 20 slides, so five minutes. And for me, that went by almost instantaneously on stage. I, it was kind of a blur because it 15 seconds goes by really quickly it and you're does. on to the next slide. And I'm like, okay, I already talk fast, but I got to make sure I talk not so fast and also, you know, say the right things. So I just enjoyed the fact that you were there to see just how prepared I was for it and then to see how well it went. I loved it. But is it the fact that you feel that you've failed so many times that you don't fear failure anymore, that you just value the experience and the lesson that comes with it? Yeah, I'm not trying to fail, but I'm also open to the possibility of it. So Sometimes, I mean, not this time, but when I get on a, a podcast or a Zoom call, there's been times where I didn't know if I was the guest or the host. I mean, that's how ridiculous I am. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? I have to figure it out like on the fly because maybe we used my Zoom link and but it's actually their podcast or something like that. You know, like I, I'm that ridiculous where I don't care what it is. I'll put myself out there in ways I hadn't before. I will say for any men listening or women, but it's primarily a men uh, tip. If you haven't tried to grow a beard, that is a huge uh, game changer. For me, the pandemic allowed me with masks to finally try to grow a beard. But since I can't grow it on top, I thought I had no chance to grow it down bottom. And now I regret the prior 15 years where I didn't have a beard and I looked like Mr. Clean without the muscles. Uh, so, you know, if you can grow a beard, do it. If you're a woman, feel free to wear a fake beard. I don't care. My point is that's what got me over a lot of my confidence issues about being on on camera because most of my Excel training is just screen recordings with my voice. And so now I'm, I was trying to use the podcast for a lot of things, but one of them was being comfortable on camera. I love that. And that was what I was going to ask you next is how has failure increased your confidence? So all of these failures, right? So you have a choice, right? You can let them take you down. As you said, you fall down seven times, get back eight. I love that. Uh, but but what would you say is the biggest contributor to the part of the, the failures that has contributed to this newfound confidence? Well, so first of all, all the guests that I interview, 
give me like a mini masterclass in their own failures. So that it has shown me that I'm in good company with people who have had to deal with um, either ridiculous setbacks or obstacles and found a way to push forward. A lot of the people I interview are bigger failures in terms of have had more adversity and overcame it. Um, and if they had stopped at, at a certain point, they wouldn't reach the success that allowed them to even be someone I would know to have on my podcast. So it's amazing sometimes when you don't know all those stories that other people experience. And like I said in the speech, like everyone's doing their social media highlight reel, even people who are just normal people who hate their lives regularly, they're still posting stuff that's like, oh, look at me, I'm so great. And we're all trying to trick ourselves uh, into not feeling any of the shame or embarrassment or whatever that comes with failing, especially now that everything is recorded and on social media. Back in the day when, you know, I was growing up, I had a pager and there was no one recording anything I did. So thankfully, if I messed up and did some really embarrassing thing at school, maybe someone would make fun of me for a few days, but it would go away. Now it's a TikTok video that gets a million views and I don't know how kids these days do it, but uh, they, they, uh, from my experience now teaching um, college students, they will not step out of their shell at all. I will ask them a question that has an easy answer. I'm like, anybody who wants to be brave, speak up. And I get crickets. I'm like, all right, I'll answer my own question, but this is ridiculous. You all need to figure out how to like start putting yourselves out there because they really are, um, in my experience, much less able to do stuff like that because they're more fearing the negative consequences and they don't have a lot of that confidence probably because we're all putting out our fake selves out there so i was like i'm just gonna own it i'm gonna be the world's number one failure there's no competition for that so um and if there is if, i mean there are plenty of people who are bigger failures but they're probably dealing with that reality than trying to get the seo of world's number one failure so <laughs> you know i was just like i'm gonna own it and then anything i do that is a mistake. It's on brand. Uh, every time I mess up, what did you expect? I mean, I'm the failure guy. Like it gets me out. It's like a get out of fail free thing. It's like, it really allows me to look at all of my failures, not only with a joking style, but then be like, okay, like I interviewed Jacqueline Welch, the million dollar black belt, um, coach or something like that. She's called we recorded an hour long um, podcast. It it got cut, like we, my internet got cut because I was in a motel. Um, Power through, I go back on, we talk for 25 minutes about this amazing story and I hadn't hit record and I'm like, oh no, Jacqueline, you're gonna be so pissed because uh, you're gonna either have to say all that over again or, um, and she's like, I don't have time. I'm, I have a hard stop at the end of the hour. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll hit record. It became a 19 minute episode. And uh, I lost most of it. So, you know, now I'm hyper vigilant of looking at the top left, seeing that recording symbol on Zoom, because that my own failures are the ones that stick with me the most. I can learn a lot from other people's, but when it's something I did, it, it really sticks with me. So, like, I feel like sometimes it's the only way I can learn, honestly. I love that. And you know what? One thing that you talked about, about you know, other people may have failed even bigger than you is there everyone fails at something, right? And it doesn't make you a failure. It's a failed attempt at whatever it mm -hmm. was you were doing. But the thing about it that I find so puzzling is that nobody is talking about it. And that's why I started this podcast, because we look at these entrepreneurs who are living this great life 
And people are looking at them saying they're so lucky no, because they're not talking about the journey. They're not talking about overcoming yeah. obstacles. And so we think there's something wrong with us. Like they could do it. Why can't we? And so I love that you kind of touched on that because that's why we talk about it. That's why we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because when we call you the number one failure guy, we know you earned it. You paid the price and you're going to share that with us. And so to your I point just, though, no one likes the word failure. Everyone no. I talk to like, they're, they're like, no, I'd rather call it a mistake or, you know, like I don't believe in failure or whatever. I'm like, this is exactly why I need to do this. Cause this is the most extreme word apparently related to having any mistake in life. But I wanted to destigmatize it so that people wouldn't be afraid of it. Cause if you're afraid of it, you're not going to step outside of your comfort zone. You're not going to do that thing that you really should be doing that, you know, in your heart is like what you want to do, but you're, you just are stuck in either that job that you spent so long getting into, or you're stuck in that relationship that you really can't figure out how to get out of. A lot of times people get stuck because they're too afraid of the unknown, but the more you stretch that comfort zone and expand it, every little thing you do to like get out of your comfort zone, it expands it a little bit and then you just have a much wider comfort zone. And so I'd say for people who are really on that, on that scared side, just do little things, wear something that's more like you for one day and see how it feels like talk to a stranger one day, do something that is something that you're scared of, but is along the lines of something you'd like to be doing. If you want to be more into like public speaking or whatever, like just start talking to the general public in real life for a little bit, you know, like try to try to figure out how to get out of your own head and be more of your true self in any of those moments. Cause if I was on stage, like I was when you saw me 10 years ago, I would just be in my head the whole time wondering what everyone's thinking. And I literally had no idea what anyone was thinking the whole time. Cause I was only thinking about what I'm talking about, how I'm delivering it and making sure I'm not missing any of the points that I wanted to hit on. And, uh, and then also trying to make, throw in jokes if someone claps when I say accelerator, I didn't expect that or whatever the thing is. Cause, uh, cause I think I've always wanted to do stand up comedy. I call LinkedIn and any meeting I've ever been in, I call it business meeting stand up comedy, which is just the bar is so low. Everyone's dying to laugh. So like, you don't even have to have good jokes in those moments. You know, they're not judging you like a comedian who they've paid to see on stage. It's like, oh, wow, he threw a joke in there. It's, it catch, catches him by surprise. So, you know, whenever you can throw some levity and lightness into, uh, into situations like that, I've always been trying to do that. I've been doing that at meetings and work for the longest time. And I've been blown away how the smallest joke can lighten up a room, even though, you know, everybody doesn't want to be there or whatever, you know? I love it. I love it. Oh my gosh. This has been so great. I think you've done such a great job. Talking about failure, confidence, weirdness is so much fun. Let's talk about what's next, right? I feel like, you know, a lot of people ask the question, if you knew you couldn't fail, what would you do next, right? But I'm going to say, if you knew you couldn't or you knew you could, because it doesn't matter either way, tell us what's next. What are you doing right now that people could tap into? Well, I'm trying to figure out how to get more public speaking engagements because I want to start actually figuring out in, in that non-restrictive format, you know, if I had like 10 to 15 minutes, like a normal Ted talk or whatever, 
what would I say? What would I go over? Like, how, how can I refine my public speaking abilities? I don't know what it takes to be a keynote speaker. I've interviewed a bunch of them and they basically say it's taking like a two hour subject and jamming it into 15 minutes. And you know, there's some famous quote from somebody saying, if I had more time, I would have written a shorter letter, meaning it's hard to put a good jam packed thing full of info in a small amount of time. And so that's why keynote speakers get paid so much is because they only come up on stage for like 15 minutes, but they're giving you knowledge bomb after knowledge bomb or whatever they're, or they're keeping you engaged. And so trying to figure out how to do that, um, is something that I've always wanted to do. And it's like a step towards stand up comedy without being stand up comedy. Cause I know when you do stand up comedy, you have to bomb for like the first year at least, and probably a lot longer. Jerry Seinfeld, anybody you ask, they had plenty of times they got up on stage and nobody laughed at them. And it's like, there's no other profession that I know of where every 20 seconds you're getting judged and nothing you did in the past matters because they're judging you in that moment for what you're doing in that moment. So you got to be, you know, constantly hitting the right things. And the other thing that I'm resistant to is stand-up comedy is that you have to tell the same jokes over and over until you perfect them. And I don't, I, that's to me more faking it because I got to fake the originality of the joke the first time, like as if I was saying it for the first time. Yeah. So I think I struggle with that as like a, a component is telling the same joke like 7,000 times. That sounds tedious to me when, you know, I could get up on stage, have a much lower bar of what needs to be said in terms of jokes, but focus on the, the impact and the message and things like that. And then sprinkle in jokes, you know, when I can. I love it. Oh, that's so great. Okay. Tell our listeners one place where they can find you. Anywhere where podcasts are available, you can go search for the Failure Guy podcast. So Failure Guy, that's one place, uh, aka many places. Um, and that's it. Uh, you said one. And also the best place to find me is LinkedIn. I ignore almost every other social media platform in favor of LinkedIn. So if you have a LinkedIn, even if it's just your resume holder, feel free to add me there. Um, you can find me under Benjamin Courier. Yeah, we're going to put all the links to you in the show notes, but I just wanted to make sure you'd give them one uh, right now so they can remember where they can find you. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode. And just before we get to the good stuff, right? The good, the bad, and the ugly, I have this great announcement for you. We are starting the Pod Power Hour, which is a virtual event that's going to happen on Wednesdays at noon Eastern. And so if you've ever thought about having a podcast, if you have questions, if you are a podcaster and you want to come and meet other podcasters and learn what's new, what's happening, tips and tricks to be better at this amazing passion of podcasting that you have, we would love for you to join us. We're going to have experts there that are going to be sharing they're genius. It's going to be amazing. So, and if you're a host and you want to come meet some amazing uh, people that could be potential guests for you on your show, come on out. What a great way to get exposure. Be sure to check it out on my website at camilehman.com as well as follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Whatever is your favorite platform, we will have registration there. You do need to register to attend. And it is on Zoom, so super simple, just one hour every other Wednesday. 
We start on May 4th, so don't miss out. Get registered today. We can't wait to see you there. You have moved from fighting cancer to discovering how to live beyond it. But what now? With so many emotional side effects still unknown, as a new survivor, you find yourself in a void as you navigate through the isolation, fear, and an uncertain future that can overshadow you and your family for years to come. Instead of focusing on the uncertainty of cancer, consider how strong and determined you are and think of the strength demonstrated by those who stood beside you through it all. Consider this. You now get to choose who you want to be and what your intentional, fulfilled life can look like. You made it through treatment. We can help you define yourself as a survivor. We're here to help you through this moment, to walk beside you as you shift your mindset from counting the days of life to creating a legacy. For more information, visit www.adventuretherapyfoundation.org or contact us at info at adventurefound.org. Well, you know, this has been so great, Ben. On the She's Invincible podcast, we promise our listeners that we're going to bring them fierce entrepreneurs, which you've totally fit that bill. And we're going to spotlight their expert zone of genius again, which you did. It's failure. And you did that so well as well. Uh, and But we also promise them that we're going to pull back the curtain. We're not going to sh- just give this shiny little object and say, oh, look at Ben. Yes, and he's shining too in his sequence. Look at Ben. Look how great Ben is. What we're going to say is, look at Ben. Look at his success. Look at the life he lives. And look at what he, the price that he had to pay along the way to get to the place where he is right now. And then watch him go because he's nowhere where he's going to be. He's, you know, but when you look back and you think, well, I'm not where I was, right? But then we look forward and we say, but we're not anywhere near where we're going to be. And I love that because that's the promise of where you're headed uh, and you are on your way. And it's so fun to celebrate you and watch you go. Uh, so we're going to pull back the curtain right now. Are you ready to tell some stories? I'm always ready. But also, I just want to say it's exciting to see your journey as well. You oh, and I thanks. are both kind of coming up. I don't know. You have a bit more downloads, but somehow we're in the same area of ranking. Of I don't know how that any of that works. But I'm just saying it's exciting to see all of us come up together in this podcasting industry. Because before PodFest, I'd never really met anybody in real life. And I met so many people who I've either interviewed or just known online and it was so fulfilling and just it gave me an extra spark to get back into it and to really give it my all so that was a super uh, great conference that also just lit my fire and and it's gonna set me off even more in the trajectory to get to where i need to be oh yes and i i don't know if you saw it but i posted something yesterday and i said something about they say everyone it takes a village and I was shouting out to a few of my village people. <laughs> yeah, I love that you said village people. I was yeah, like, I knew you would. I, <laughs> I, th- I think you probably have a costume that you could replicate a village uh-huh, person. I, I'm yeah. sure you could. So, but yeah, so like, I really feel that way. And I feel like we all, it does take a village, right? And we're all in this together. And it, we're so much better if we team up and we, and, we move mm. together and reach our goals and help each other. I love that. Yeah, one thing that I noticed is that the PodFest conference, everyone was like, 
oh my God. Like it was so uh, cooperative and everyone was so happy to see each other. But then I was there the next day after the podcast was over and it seemed like it was some sort of a real estate conference. And I would make eye contact with people and they would immediately look at the ground. And it was like, cause it was super competitive industry or whatever. It yeah. was the exact opposite vibe of our whole conference. So I was like, I'm so glad I'm not in this kind of a conference where people can barely, they're in suits and everything, but they barely want to make eye contact with anyone. And we were all like, I was dressed probably the weirdest of anybody, but we're all like saying, oh my God, this is so amazing to see you. Like, and I'm hopping on the random podcasts and random things during that. It was just such an overload of, of joy and excitement and fun um, that it was, it was stark comparison to what followed the, the extra day or two I stayed there um, to see what other conferences looked like. I was like, oh yeah, I remember these kind when I was back in corporate America, the kind where you really can't be yourself, but you have to go to it because they pay, you know, they want you to. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Let's pull All back right. the curtain though. I'm in Kansas area, you know, <laughs> Wizard of Oz to pull back the curtain. So it's on Here brand. So let's do it. Let's do it. So we're going to tell uh, three quick stories. The first one is about the good or the greatest part of your journey so far. So we've already touched on it a bit. It would be probably my first public speech that I've ever given, which was um, at PodFest. Cami, I'd love it if you told your experience of it because I've already told a bunch of it so far. What was your uh, take of it? Because you got to see me um, basically come up to you saying, hey, uh, here's my slides. Like, can we like just look through them for a second and make sure it makes sense? And then you got to wait there as A, then he tried to make it in time and he did. And then B, as you got to watch everyone else um, speak and then yes. you, you got to see the external version. I had the only internal version. So I'd like to hear it from your perspective, okay. but that would be my good. Okay. I think it was the great. I think that was so great. So, um, first of all, it was an honor for you to say like, Oh my gosh, let me run this by you. I just got to get my thoughts in order and get ready. That was an honor for me. I'm like, Oh my gosh, he's going to, he's going to use me to do this. Like, wow. Um, and you know, that was my first pod fest, right? So I've been to other big conferences before, but that was my first pod fest. So I wasn't really sure what to expect. And when you were talking about this Pico, whatever, I was like, I don't even know what that is, <laughs> but uh, I was so excited. And what I noticed, well, first of all, you were the 16th speaker out of 30. So I sat there, right? And I was texting Vinny, like, five more. You have 10 more minutes. Oh, my gosh, where are you? Are you in here? Uh, as he skates through the door as you're being introduced, which was so fun. And, you know, Vinny's definitely one of our village people, too. Mm -hmm. uh, so in that, you know, that was amazing. I enjoyed all the speakers and I really find that, you know, some are better than others. Everyone's on their journey. Some are at the end, you know, where they're getting ready to go to the next bigger thing. And some, that was their very first thing. And, um, but the thing about yours was after I sat through 15 of them, uh, was that no one would have known that that was your first time if you didn't tell them. Like you didn't appear that way. You were very confident. I'm sure it had to do with all of the failures that came before that moment. Um, but what I thought was one, you were excellent with your timing. Some of the people weren't getting through the slides and the slides were changing and they were, it was almost funny, right? It was comical and they made Some fun of it. really bad. And yeah. And we <laughs> laughed a lot about that. But what I found happened when you came on the stage was the energy in the room shifted and I videoed it. So I could tell you, I can show you that the energy in the room shifted and 
it it was unbelievable. And I think you did an excellent job. I think that you everything that you shared was empowered and inspired everyone in the room at a different level uh, that they could relate to something that had happened or if not something that may happen in their future that now they're more yeah. prepared for. So I absolutely love that. I thought you nailed it. And um, I love your ending uh, quote. So I'll let you, we'll save that for the end and I'll let you share that. But that is just my favorite. And um, I thought you did an excellent job. And when you go to the next place, I want to be there in the front row. I don't know if I'll (laughs) be your videographer though, because I'm not so great at that. (laughs) Hey, you were better as a a, a friend and a coach, uh, just a support (laughs) system kind of person. But I hope that I had made, I've heard multiple people say the energy shifts thing. It but did. I hope it made it easier on the other speakers who had to go after me, not harder, you know, to follow up, but more like be okay with failure and don't worry so much about getting it, getting it exactly right. You know, well, I think it did that. And I also think it was an icebreaker because by the time you listen to 15 people, you're on overwhelm, right? You're like, you know, total nervous system overwhelm. And so when you came in and you lightened that load and you raised the energy and people were laughing and they were loving it. I think that that gave them what they needed to get through the next 13 people, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. so it was gave them the, the opportunity to give the attention to those other speakers that came after you as well and be open to what they, they were saying. So yeah. I think it and was awesome. I think William you, Hung being one of them. Yes. It, it brought the energy up even more. Yes. Uh, I was like, that, I just didn't want to have to go before. Uh, sorry, after he went, I was like, at least he's going after me. He was like 23 or something. Yeah. So I was like, hopefully this carries on. And then when he gets on, people are going to go nuts. It was so excellent. You did a great was, job. I love it. And you inspired so many people. And just, I, just that topic. That's, that's you give them permission. To well, you gave them permission to fail. Like you just set them free. They're so afraid to fail. And you made failure fun. And you gave them permission to walk out of that room. And not worry about whatever it was they were going to do next. It was going to be okay. And yeah. I love that. And all so right. many people came up to me and asked for selfies and all these other yeah. things. I'm like, I'm not the selfie guy. I'm not the people who I ask for selfies. I'm not the guy in the selfies. <laughs> so like, it was just weird to get so much praise and so much stuff for, uh, that came from that. Cause I didn't think I was that much different than the rest of them, but I was also in my own world while I was giving it. So I appreciate all that feedback and all those kind words. Was excellent. uh, I can't wait to see you do it again, Ben. All right, let's move on to the band. Tell us a story about the bad part of your journey. We'll save the ugly for last. Sure. Tell us a quick story about bad. So bad, um, no, I don't believe all the time in positive manifestation or negative manifestation. But I think a good case study in negative manifestation is if you put failure license plate on your car and then a year and a half later you wake up in a in an accident uh having hit a parked car at 3 a.m on a saturday because i had been not getting too, that much sleep because i've been driving so much back and forth so i wake up in a car crash i realized i hit a parked car thankfully uh i mean as in no one was injured but me my airbag didn't go off which i was very surprised about when you look at the picture it's like the airbag probably should have gone off but i was more worried about okay First of all, hyperadrenaline mode, because uh, I'm like waking up in a car crash. And then I'm also like, oh no, I got to explain why I'm A, in a car crash, B, I'm not drunk, C, I'm wearing pink pants, D, I have a failure license plate, 
E, the cops are like right here already. So really quickly, I had to be like, all right, they're going to think I'm drunk first. So I got to rush through that part. So I do the walk and I'm like, do you want the alphabet backwards? And they're like, sure. I'm like, Z-Y-X-W-V-U-T-S-R-K-V-O-N-M-L-K-J-A-H-D-F-D-C-B-A. And I'm like trying to like bypass the normal route they would take to see if I'm drunk so that I can then figure out how to explain why I would hit a parked car. Uh, and it's not my fault. So while I don't necessarily remember the events leading up to it because I was probably concussed or whatever, um, I decided that my best option was to say that there's a car coming at me the opposite way and knowing physics, I can either have the car that's coming at me and then therefore our combined um, speeds would be the resulting crash or I can go into parked car. And thankfully, since they, um, there's no one else there besides me in the parked car to talk about it. <laughs> um, I not only was found not at fault, but the person who uh, I hit, I eventually found out, um, got a better car than they had before. Now, the funny part there is that, um, I had gone to a, um, a bar in downtown Kansas city and I walk into the bar and the bartender goes, are you the failure guy? And I'm like, shut up. No, no, so I am. What are you talking about? I don't even have the car anymore. So like, why would anyone not recognize me? She's like, you hit my car a year ago. And I'm like, shut up. There's no chance that this is real life right now. Like, and also did it work out? Okay. Do you get a better car? Like, were you screwed? And she's like, no, it was fine. They paid for everything. And they, and I got a better car out of it. So I was like, great. I was the only one who got screwed uh, by my own failure. That's, that's one of the big things. Like be okay with failure. But don't take unnecessary risks that might put other people in danger. Don't seek out failures that may hurt other people. Make sure they're calculated risks that are really only going to impact yourself. Like, don't do a weird bunch of stuff if you've got a whole family relying on you for money. Take a lesser risk, you know, in those kind of scenarios. But thankfully, that car crash worked out well, and I got a very good picture of my failure car all crashed up as a nice bookend to that uh, vehicle. And the back plate still was there. The front plate was not. So uh, so I've kept that and kept it in the background um, ever since. But like I said, if anyone's in Colorado, you can get that plate because I don't, I don't technically have it anymore. So it's available. <laughs> and if anybody does it, I don't know what I'll give them. At least a shout out on the show. But I want to see some failure plates around the country. And there's at least 50 that can be given out as far as I'm able to count. I love it. That is so awesome. So, so awesome. And I love that failure license plate. I feel like that is just the ultimate souvenir of the story. So many um, people ask me if it's real or not. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yep. it is real. It couldn't be any more real. <laughs> oh, Ben. So you're so full of stories. I love that. So full of stories. And I love uh, just everything that you're talking about and in this failure and just all of the things, the story about the car. Oh my gosh. So it could be so dangerous. Right. And, uh, thankfully yeah. I survived. Yes. 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 And, and you saved the failure license plate, <laughs> it's the iconic license plate, which I absolutely love. I had to go to the tow yard that I sold it to and pry it off the car. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it was worth it though, because look at that. Like, you know, if you didn't have the license plate, did it really happen? Yeah. Oh, man. So, okay. So that was all fun, but we have to talk about the ugly. So tell us a, a story about the ugly part of this journey. Absolutely. So I'm actually going to not 
really talk about the firings. I'll talk about something that happened earlier on that I think led to the firings, which is growing up. Uh, so my parents got divorced when I was three. And then my mom um, entered into an abusive relationship, um, both physically and verbally, um, that affected both of us um, for the next 17 years because she was um, either too uh, scared to get out of it, didn't thought, think she was worth it, whatever the thing was. But I do know that that, was, that affected her ability to show love to me and to give me the proper amount of either attention or whatever that I deserve. She was so maxed out just trying to make enough money to survive and deal with all of the, you know, stressfulness of, of her relationship. Uh, and then when I wasn't with her and I had my two days with my dad, um, he worked for Frito-Lay, um, stacking chips on shelves at, at um, grocery stores. So I would be at the grocery store with him, helping him out because usually it was day he couldn't take off. And then I thought it was kind of cool because you can go behind the scenes and go into the back and see the big freight elevator and cardboard crushers and all that weird stuff. And it's usually way more gross back there. But, uh, you know, it was interesting to see the behind the scenes type of thing. But but he also, he's filed for bankruptcy twice and he has the same exact name as me. So that's, uh, you know, like I've had a card at the time that I was paying I paid every payment on, but he co-signed it. So they took it at in the middle of the night with my girlfriend's purse in the car at the time. And I'm like, dad, stop doing stuff that messes me, my stuff up. Cause I haven't missed a single payment. Now my car is gone. Um, and also he's on his third marriage and I've just had very poor relationship role models throughout my entire life. So I think that led me to seek, um, either, and I'm an only child. So I was, I was either doing things on my own. Uh, by myself in my room playing video games or, and at the time it was regular Nintendo, the first one. So, you know, whether it was old video games going on the computer in the AOL days where you had to like pray that it would connect and make that awful sound uh, with your modem <laughs> and then no one would pick up the phone, hopefully. Um, but, uh, but basically it made it so I was pretty, pretty much left to my own devices in terms of how to be social, how to, re you know, act in relationships. And so I think um, in a lot of times I find myself falling into the same traps, either it's the money trap that my dad had, you know, where I was like, well, clearly it's in my blood that I'm going to, you know, have to deal with this type of thing. And since I've never filed for bankruptcy, that to me is a success just because I know it's an option. And there's been times where I was like, okay, my dad's done it twice. I know, you know, what's involved and that it kind of reset him, but also just seeing how people fight in relationships and especially if you're uh, in the lower middle class or, or, or even lower, like there's rarely places to hide from. You can't close enough doors to put between you and what's happening. So uh, a lot of times if you listen to music, I remember some specific albums that I've been listening to just to not have to listen to what's going on, like in my household. And so when I'm in my adult life and I have a relationship, a lot of times I'll be, saying the words that are right, but my tone is so bad that it doesn't matter. I'm like, just listen to the words, ignore the tone. Cause, and no one ever will ever like agree to that logic. Cause it's just, you can't, but from seeing how everyone I knew growing up argued, I feel like when I'm frustrated, my tone becomes the worst. And also the people closest to me get the worst version. So like on a podcast, I might be able to, to, you know, have a good tone and have a good, um, like maybe, cadence to the way I'm speaking. But if I'm getting frustrated and arguing with some family member or a loved one, 
like very quickly I get into this frustration tone spiral that just keeps getting worse and worse the less I feel like I'm being understood. And then I get frustrated and I can't control my tone, but I'm still saying more words. And so uh, I think that's probably been part of the reason for some of the firings is because either I can't, um, I can't pretend to be okay with something that's going on. It's not. And so it was very hard for me to like bite my tongue when it comes to like ideas that people might be suggesting or even just the way that things currently work. It's really hard for me not to complain and say, I know I can make this better. I remember there's one night. So here's just one example. Um, at my favorite company I've ever worked at, which is a video game company that made rock band and guitar hero and all sorts of other things. It, it was a video game company. So it's very laid back. Um, a lot of artists, musicians and things like that who work there, Mohawks, tattoos, all that jazz, scooters, scooting around the place. And I'm a finance guy, so I'm not used to these kind of environments. Plus, I was like number 300 in the world for rock band drums, which is how I got the job because I went to play test for the next game. And I just said, here's my resume. If the finance people need anybody, please let me in. I think it's just that like, I don't, I think being from Boston, there's a lot of times where we don't have a filter and that can definitely hurt us in the corporate politics world. And whenever there's any kind of situation where we need to uh, change the way that we act and deal with frustrating circumstances, it's really difficult to, uh, to maintain positivity, especially if you're the type of person who will come across like they're upset if they're upset and has no way of kind of hiding that. And so I think that has, has, um, has been an issue at multiple jobs. And so that company I used to work for, um, they were owned by MTV networks. That's why me and Vinny have that kind of shared connection of MTV networks. But when they were sold to private equity, uh, I actually had to be rehired by Harmonix, uh, because they were a separate company. Now they did rehire me. Um, the only thing I asked for was not a pay raise or anything. I just wanted my own office. And then I still had no, my own office. I'm like, just eventually if an office opens up, just can you like put me to the front? I could have negotiated for salary, whatever. That was the thing. Then I interview and hire someone who becomes my boss. And then she tries to put me in the hallway in the cubes again. And I'm like, this will not stand. I do not care what happens. The only thing I asked for was the chance to get an office at some point. I'm not going to downgrade from my current office to something else just because you weren't here or the HR person doesn't remember or whatever it is. And I'm like, I probably ruined the whole thing just over not wanting to move about the thing. But it's like, I put so much time and energy into making things. I did over $700 million in purchasing of the various component parts from China to make sure they can get to where they need to be. We had to buy drumsticks from everyone and their mother because no one has that many drumsticks. No one has 8 million drumsticks all of a sudden out of nowhere. So like I, we tried to move mountains to do that. There's only three of us in the finance team and it's just, it sucks when, you know, the people that have your back end up having to leave or, you know, company stuff starts shifting and new people come in, you have to convince them that you're great. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that, but I do know how to stand up when I'm feeling like I'm being treated poorly. And I think a lot of the times uh, that I've been fired were because I'm just too difficult to deal with, but that's because they're not holding up to their end. And I will not let them just keep doing it. If you want me to love you, company culture, rah, 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 all this other BS, you got to give it back. If you don't give it back, I will not, I will physically retract from the work and I will not continue. I was a quiet quitting hipster 
where I was just, you know, I'm not going to quit because that'll, then my money goes away. So I'll just do less, care less, and just keep seeing how much less I can do because you're not inspiring me to do anything else. And you're also actively hurting my ability to do that. And I think since I grew up with such money issues, anything around the topic of money, I had a lot of negative associations with money, which is probably why I didn't even argue, like negotiate for higher salary. But I'm like, come on now. I didn't have it in writing, so it's got to go in your memory or whatever. But I certainly remember, you know, doing a lot of things where I would trusted people and then they screwed me over. So I've learned, be careful with who you trust. I try to trust people still. I don't want to not trust people because people are sometimes trustworthy. But if there's a way to put things in writing, if there's a way to get things documented that you, that you know that they might try to screw you over for later, um, that's where you kind of got to fight your, I hate admin type stuff. I hate paperwork and all that jazz. But I realized if I had something in writing, if I had this or that, like a lot of times I would have got screwed over less um, by some of those people, including billionaires. It's like who play their vendors late. It's like, are you serious? Are you literally serious? You really need to make sure that this person who doesn't have as much money as you has to be on edge as stressed as possible when you could easily just pay your bills on time instead of keeping it for a little bit more interest or whatever you're doing. Like it's just so toxic. And it's like at a certain point of greediness and being in corporate America, I just can't, can't be around that. I don't like watching rich people trade money and me track it and try to make it better for them. It's just something that's not, not within me anymore. So I just, now I train people how to use Excel so that they can go do their own thing in corporate America and learn from all the stuff I've learned, but I do not want to go back into that world. So I'm like, here, you take these, you take all this training and tools, you do it. I can't, but I can help you get better at doing the thing that, that might make you feel more confident in your job or save you time or make you more money or whatever those kind of things are. I love it. And it sounds like these firings were all a gift, but I, I wonder as I listen to some of the things that you're saying, is if we had better leadership instead of bosses in corporate America, they could have like recognized like, oh, this guy brings so much to the table, but you know, he's not, he's inadequate in this communication style. Maybe we could work with him. It was training or something. Right. Because like, as you said, you brought so much value and, you know, moved mountains for these businesses to make them successful and to generate revenue. Uh, and that, you know, all of that has to stand for something. So I feel like, you know, maybe lack of leadership and more of like boss and authority management and things like that. It's almost like they were trying to manage you and not lead you, which. Well, that's the problem. So if you get really good at a specific thing like Excel, right? They don't want to promote you to be the manager of the finance team because then you're not doing the Excel. So they put someone above you to keep you doing the Excel thing for longer or whatever. They keep you in their spot because you might not have leadership skills, but you do have the skills that they want to keep you in that position for. And then uh, I just wanted to say that I, uh, when I originally was going to write the book, um, it was going to be what they should have learned by dealing with an employee like me and what I should have learned from the, the fact that I couldn't keep the job. And so that I think there's the flip side of the coin for both. Like there's certainly things I could have done better, but I know for sure a lot of these companies could have benefited more from me for longer if they treated me like an actual human being instead of 
um, just someone who's easily replaceable. Yeah, I agree 100%. And at the end of the day, both of those things are important, right? The productivity of the employee and the the culture, right? And that kind of thing. Like they're both very important and there has to be a place where we can merge the two and figure out what needs to happen next. And so maybe some more support around that. So, well, this has been such an amazing conversation. And as always, the ugly and the bad are the things that turn us back to where we are today. They, they take us to that place where we become grateful for them because this is what it did for us, right? It's just like your car accident, just like these jobs have led you into this, you know, um, just brand of the failure guy and this fabulous podcast. And now this speaking career that is about to emerge uh, all because of these negative things. And I think, you know, as we go through them, it's so hard to re remind ourselves like this is Suckville right now, but it's going to be right better. Yeah. But if, if I was not um, fired from KPMG, my first job in public accounting, I probably would still work there because I don't quit. So uh, I kind of needed to be forced out in order for me to finally go, all right, I'll do all these other things because I thought there was no path of creativity that would get me to being financially stable because since we were so financially instable growing up, um, it was like, you got to go to college, you got to get a degree, you got to get a regular job that's high paying. That's the way out. But that was the only way they knew out. They didn't know there was other ways out, but neither did I. So I was like, I'll follow the way that seems to be the way that my family hasn't done yet and see how that works. And realized I should, I wish I had done more creative things earlier, you know? Yeah. Well, you're young and you're brilliant and you're funny as heck. You are the wittiest person I know. I think I even said to you, doesn't it scare you how witty you are? And I think you said yes. I don't even know. I think it's my brain's broken and I can only think of puns and stuff. I can't, I can't take things too seriously anymore. Yeah. And you know what? That's great though. That's great because that's going to pay off for where you're headed next. That's what is going to be required of you to be the best version of yourself as you step into this next part of your life uh, and in entrepreneurship. And it's just so exciting. This has been so great, Ben. And I love having you here and hearing these stories that are going to encourage so many people. Before we go, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about two things. Uh, one is about what you're doing with Excel exposure right now, because you did kind of briefly mention that. So I feel like we need to go there for a minute. And then also mm -hmm. about this new thing with IMDB. Yeah. So um, for Excel, I teach online at my website, excelexposure.com. Uh, you'll see that there's a, um, a premium course. It's $200 for lifetime access to the course. And if you use the code failure, you get 20% off. So uh, feel free to use that. And uh, the main site has all of my old free training, but it's in Excel 2010. So it's pretty outdated, but you're welcome to use the free training as well. The IMDB thing that uh, Kami just mentioned, if you have a podcast or if you're doing anything in uh, movies, TV shows, music videos, commercials, or podcasting, but this is specifically for podcasters mostly because not a lot of people take advantage of it you can get yourself on IMDb and you can get your guests on IMDb and you can be forever tied to them. Like I just put up William Hung's episode four days ago. And now if you go to William Hung's profile and look under self, you'll see the failure guy podcast 
And that way, you know, I'm forever linked with him. I get credit. I can give credit, but I'm also my director, executive producer, editor. I'm an actor as failure guy because I don't want to be a failure. So I'm not putting myself as self. I'm acting as a failure guy. So uh, it's just an interesting way to get um, some uh, notoriety and also credibility. Give credit to those who help you with your podcasts. That since up until this moment, I've done everything myself. It's all mostly myself crediting myself. But um, Cami will put into the show notes a link to a form which gives you 20% off of a uh, program now I'm doing for podcasters where I'm getting their, their podcast onto IMDb and their first three episodes listed. And then I can train them how to, uh, how to do it themselves or, you know, figure out a way for, for them to utilize my services. But it's, uh, it's a weird clunky system. It's IMDb is owned by Amazon and it's all human reviewed. So there's no way to automate any of it. You really have to get good at doing it. I've gotten good at it, but Cami knows from doing it just last night or the other night, it's not intuitive. Would you say that's correct? That is a hundred percent correct. <laughs> so I'll make sure she puts the link into this show notes. It's a little bit lengthy, but if you want to try to follow me right now, it's imdb.failureguy.com slash submit podcast Cami. I love it. Awesome. Thank you so much for putting that together. I've been leading uh, some of my podcast hosts that come through the She's Invincible podcast school. And so I love that you put this together because it's so hard for me, right? Because I'm not techie. People say that. How do you have a podcast and you're not techie? I'm as techie as I need to be, right? But yeah. um, I love that you're doing that and you're so good at it. And I love that you're offering people to save money and be able to utilize that service and get the most visibility that they can get with their podcast through that platform. So thank you for that. This has been amazing. Before we say goodbye, I want to ask you to finish this sentence for me. The world would be a better place if more people knew blank. Not to fake it till you make it, but to fail it till you nail it. I love that one. Oh, Ben, that's awesome. Thank you so much for being here. To our listeners, uh, just click the show notes, all the links to find Ben, all the links for everything that we talked about today are right there. So you can follow his podcast, reach out to him. He is fun and amazing, and he can help you in so many ways. So don't be shy. Reach out to him. Let him know how he can help you and the work that you're doing. And you know what we say, I don't know where you are in your life or your business, but if you're face down on the ground right now, get back up. Just get back up. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. So get back up, guys. You can do anything. And remember, failure is good for you. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. If you were inspired or learned something new, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a review and share us with your friends. For more information about me and how I can support you, please stop on over to my website at camilehman.com and book a free call with me. I'd love to meet you and learn more about how I can support you.